And uh, we're going to go this morning, we're going to keep our series going with the journey. And uh, I'm going to title this morning's message, When You Wonder If You're Going to Make It. And uh, I just add, that's the question today. Have you ever wondered if you're going to make it? Anybody? i just be honest today. Sometimes you just wonder. I don't know if I'm going to get through this next season of life. And uh, wouldn't you love to be able to kind of get a time machine and go into the future or even get up, go to heaven and ask your future self or down the road and say, okay, what did God do to get me through this? Or what did you do to get you through that? And how did that work out? Wouldn't you love to have that? The little bit of answer is just like, okay, it's all right. I know now that that's going to happen. And I can just leave that alone. Wouldn't that just be the greatest thing? Right? I got to worry about that. Uh, I'd ask myself, you know, did everything work out? What did God do? How'd you get through this? Did I keep all my hair? You know, uh, with all the gel I got in my hair, hopefully it stays with me. But, you know, I think in the story of the Exodus, uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness, and we've been kind of going through this series, and we're going to wrap up Exodus today. I think the children of Israel would have loved to know the same thing. How does this thing end? And am I going to make it? Am I going to be one of those people that fall away? Am I going to be one of those people that die in the wilderness? Or the, the, how am I going to get through this season of life that I'm in? And... uh I think uh, we have a little benefit today. We can read the end of their book and get their story. And what we're going to do today is kind of see the big picture of how they made it. And uh, really, this is just the part, leg one of their journey, how they made it through the, main, the first leg of their journey. And uh, we have that benefit of looking at the end of the book of Exodus and seeing the outcome. And we're going to apply their story to ours today and look at ten principles of receiving God's promise. I, the Lord uh, just gave this just in my spirit this week of uh, just real quick, woke me up a few nights ago and just gave me this, and I just believe this is from the Lord today. Uh, and this is uh, just something very simple today. We're just going to have a conversation here. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. And I'm going to give you 10 real quick things uh, today that I believe you can apply to your life if you ever are asking the question, am I going to make it? All right? Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. Israel has left Egypt. They've survived hunger and thirst and battle in the wilderness. They've almost lost God's calling at Mount Sinai. And they've finally been able to get through all that and build the tabernacle of God. And they've been there on that mountain side for a good uh, year now. And Numbers chapter 10, verse 11 says, Now in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th of the month, don't you know when God moves you from one season to another, you often remember the exact day and time. You're like, oh, Lord, thank you for getting me out of that season. And we're going on. So they note the date, the time. It says, The cloud was lifted over the tabernacle of the testimony. The sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. And so they moved out for the very first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. They finished the... It wasn't over yet, but they finished the first leg of their journey. And maybe you're in a season today, you're asking yourself, uh, am I going to make it? You're wondering if I'm going to make it. Let me give you ten principles real quick. just going to give you to them today, and I'm going to get straight into this. Number one, principles for receiving God's promise. Number one is have an impassable line marked by a defining moment in Christ. I'm going to explain each of these. We've got them on the screen today. Have an impassable line marked by a defining moment with Christ. What does that mean? Just like the children at the Red Sea, 
they were so bound in the bondage of their slavery and they cried out for God's mercy. And God in His grace heard them and He sent them a deliverer. And that deliverer, by faith, they walked out of the camp of the enemy and God parted the Red Sea and they passed through it on dry ground and God shut the waters back. Just like that, that is just like your, their life is just like our life with a Christian life. We, and, and I, we have to get to a point in our life where we are so tired of our sin, so sickening by our sin, that we cry out to God for mercy. And this is this big decision in our life where we cry out to God for mercy. God sends us to deliver Jesus Christ. He comes. He rescues us by faith. And then there is a moment in the Christian life uh, or there should be a beginning moment in the Christian life that says there is a moment that I cannot go back past that moment. There's a, a defining line, a, a line I'll never cross again because just like Israel went through that Red Sea, God shut the waters. There was no going back to Egypt. They were, you know, even in the wilderness, they were whining, complaining about thinking about going back, but they really couldn't. They didn't bring themselves out and God shut the waters back. And I think in the Christian life, just like us, when we have baptism, Paul says that baptism is symbolic of being death or going into death with Christ. It means sin's power is broken and we die with Christ and we're raised in a new life. It's not the physical water, but it's a defining moment in my life where I say, I'm never Going back, Chris Anderson, one of our leaders, and I were talking about this this last week, saying, you know, even if something bad happens in my life, I know I'm, I'm not going back. I've made up my mind. Me and Jesus are going forward, even if I falter, even if I fail. And I think if you want to make it in this world today, you've got to make up your mind that this is done. It's finished. I died back in Egypt and I'm headed for no matter what comes my way. Me and Jesus are still walking forward. Amen. And so, if you, number one, if you wonder if you're going to make it, you better have a defining moment in your life with Jesus Christ that you can't go back past that moment. There is a, a line in the sand that's been drawn. And, and Romans chapter 6 in the New Living says this way. Paul says, he says, well, Should you keep on sinning that God can show you more mercy and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can you continue to live in it or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you joined him in his death? For if we died and were buried by Christ, with Christ by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now also we may live in new lives. So the question is, have I really died yet? Have I really been born again? Or maybe am I just a ping pong Christian? Bouncing back and forth. But I think if you want to know if you're going to make it, number one, have a defining moment in your life that you'll never cross again. And to say, I'm never going back. I, I hated the sin that I was in. And I left it. Number two. Number one is have an impassable line. Number two, if you wonder if you're going to make it, remember where you came from and know where you're going. Remember where you came from and know where you're going. God, am I going to make it? You know, Israel often forgot how bad Egypt really was, and this kind of goes with the first one. Uh, they went hungry in the, when they went hungry in the wilderness, they often dreamed about uh, big pots of meat and things. When this history tells us they never really, as slaves, enjoyed those big pots of meat. You know, sometimes you go through situations and you kind of glorify the past. You think, oh, back then, you know, 10 years ago when I was going, it wasn't so bad when I was with him or her. Or, or I, 10 years ago when I had that job, everything was, you know it wasn't. 
No, it wasn't. When we were living in sin, life was not better than it is right now in Jesus. Let me tell you. Sometimes in those moments where the flesh cries out, the flesh longs to go back to the place where it was pleased, where it was well watered, where it was well fed. But here's the thing. That's a lie of the flesh. Things weren't better when you were going out and doing things you shouldn't have been doing before. And now, yes, my life may be hard, but uh, just like Israel in those times of testing, our flesh often forgets the burden of slavery's yoke. Our flesh forgets that burden. But you know what? God continued to remind Israel of his promise. He said, even, in, even though you're hungering for the things of Egypt, even though you're, you're, you're wanting to do, go back to that way, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to tell you where you're going. And he would tell them of the promise. And he said, hey, here's, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I'm going to give you Canaan land as your inheritance. And along the way, what God would have Moses do is erect altars of remembrance. Every time God did something, they would erect an altar or put stones down to remind them why. I think it's not only just for pre- future generations to remember, but if, if I'm going on a journey in my life and I keep reminding myself of how life really was in sin, and I know that God has a plan for me, that heaven is my home, and God's got His very best for me, and along my life I begin to erect altars of remembrance, places, markers in my life, should I ever get to a place where I end up turning around going backwards, you know what's going to hit me in my, on my path? That altar. That moment in my life where I say, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm thinking about going backwards. I'm thinking about turning around and going back to the way I used to think and live and act. But you know what's going to hit me? I'm going to remind, you know what? God did deliver me in that time. You know what? God did save me at that time. You know what? God did speak a word in my life at that time. And those things are going to remind you that, you know what, don't forget where you were and don't forget where God's trying to take you. Amen? And so if you wonder uh, if you're going to make it, make sure you remember where you really did come from and remember where God has called you to go and set up some altars of remembrance. And, it, and that's the way that if we begin to flirt with sin, we're going to remember. This way is a road of captivity. This way is a road to the promise. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says it this way in verse 13. He says, Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And sin, let it no longer be your master. For you live under the requirement of of the law under sin. But instead, now you live under the freedom of God's grace. It's not going to be the flesh. It's not going to be religion. But God, let me live in the freedom of your grace and keep moving forward. So I'm going to say amen. 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 So have you set up God markers in your life? Those moments, should you think about turning around, that you'll remind yourself that God's way is better. Amen. Number three, make sure you're more hungry for the things of God. You say, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. What's going on in my life right now? Number three, ask yourself, right now in this situation in my life, am I more hungry for the things of God it's been said, if you aren't hungry for God, you're probably full of yourself. I shared that this week on our, our Facebook page. But if you aren't hungry for God, you're probably full of yourself. We can get in situations in our life and really uh, we begin to ask God questions, but I think He's really probably trying to ask us questions. We say, God, where are you? What are you doing? How come I get in there? How, how, what's going on in my life? He's probably asking you, why are you trying to take control? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you, you know what I'm saying? 
And so we, ha- we have to get to that place to say, all right, God, what's going on in my life? He says, are you hungry for the things of God? You know, Israel, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that God was testing Israel. He said he was humbling them to hunger. One of my favorite passages in Deuteronomy. It says he was humbling them to hunger. Why? They were so full of the junk food of Egypt and their past that he had to starve them to get all that junk out of their life so he could feed them with the good things of God for the Spirit and the Word of God so they could be more prosperous in the land he was calling them to live. Now listen, God may be taking you to a better place in your life, but unless you get off the junk food of the way you used to act, the way you used to think, the way you used to live and talk, you'll not be able to handle the blessing that God has for you. And so there are things, sometimes promotions in our life, whether it be in ministry or a better season in your marriage, a better season in your job, or, or just a new, a new awareness of who God is, you're not going to be handling those things very well if you're still full of Egypt. So don't whine and complain when God begins to ask you, I want more of your TV time. I want more of your, your personal time. I want more of your hobby time. I want you to dig down deeper in the Word. How many are you memorizing my Word? Are you reading my Word? Are you praying? Are you listening to me when I test you and I start removing things you like and you're comfortable in your life? You like you know, sitting on that pew or you like kind of not having to be in your box. And God begins moving those things because maybe God's got something better for you. And so we wonder, God, if I'm going to make it. He's like, just trust me. I'm pruning you to be more effective as a person of Jesus Christ, right? And so he humbled them to hunger. So if you want to know if you're going to make it, some of the best indicators in this season, this number three is, uh, how is your prayer life? I don't preach on prayer enough. And some of you think, man, I preach on prayer a lot. Come on Sunday nights. One of the best indicators of a growing relationship with God is a growing prayer life. No quicker than a person comes into my office and asks, I need to know, I I need some help. One of the first things I'll ask is, how's your prayer life? Because one of the first signs of a weak Christian is a weak prayer life. And one of the uh, targets of the devil, he finds those Christians who... Now, I'm not saying if you pray, the devil's going to target you more. Yeah, you're going to put a bullseye. This guy's going for God. But at the same time... Uh, and no sooner have we stopped praying and reading the Word than temptation comes and sweeps us away. I'm going to tell you, one, one week without prayer makes one week, right? Uh, if you can't live without a day of food and some ho-hos or some bonbons or whatever it is, how can we live without prayer? Man, if I don't eat today, I'm going to be hungry. And if I don't pray today, man... I feel it. I don't know about you, but if I skip a day of prayer in my time with God, my alone time with God, I tell you what, I am more irritable. You can ask my wife. I'm more irritable. I'm more annoyed at things. And I'm more quickly to fall to temptation when I don't pray. And so I have to make sure, am I hungry for the things of God? You know what scares me the most is that there'll be a time, uh, that time in my life or, or, or when I think, talk with people, that the things of God no longer move me like they once did. Or I don't even notice that they're gone. I don't even care that I miss them anymore. I begin to skip church and skip the presence of God. I begin to skip my time in prayer. I begin to skip the time with my word. And before long, and you know, that initially it bothers you and you struggle with that. But then eventually it kind of just fades away and you get into a life where you don't even miss it anymore. That scares me to death, Miss Georgia. I want to continually be hungry 
for the things of God because I know I can't make it on my own. Amen? All right. Jesus told us, he said, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And even in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Have we admitted we're powerless to control our flesh? Have we allowed God to prune us, to humble us, to hunger for his word and spirit? And are we knowingly being emptied out of the things of this world and filled with the things of God? So that's number three. If you wonder if you're going to make it, make sure you're more hungry for the things of God. Number four, moving along. Number four, know when and how to rest in Jesus. You have a point in your life where you wonder if you're going to make it. Know when and how to rest in Jesus. You know, Israel, from Genesis, God talks about the Sabbath day. And ever, even, I'm talking multiple, multiple, multiple times before God ever gave them the law, He told them to celebrate the Sabbath. I find that very interesting. Before God ever gave rules of religion, the Sabbath day, keep it holy, was something he had been planned from the very beginning of time. And, you know, we're not under the law anymore through Jesus Christ, but Jesus comes along the scene and he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And he says in Matthew, he says, Come to me all here weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and gentle of heart. So what does that mean? Do, do I have to celebrate Sunday every day as a Sabbath? No. We're not under a law of religion anymore. We're not under the works of religion to make us holy. But here's the thing. If Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, know when and how to rest in Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to know and how to rest in Jesus? If He's Lord of the Sabbath, He's the one who gives us rest. In a moment when I'm wondering, God, am I going to make it? I can press pause. I don't have to wait till Sunday. At any moment of any day, I can say, Lord Jesus, I know you got this. Lord Jesus, here's my care, here's my anxiety, here's my worry, and I can put it all into him. You know, when Israel was called to celebrate the Sabbath, it was for a few things. It was to give their animals rest, their slaves rest, their, their businesses rest, their cells rest, but it was also to reconnect and reengage with God. And so every week, they did that. God was reminding them every week, re-engage with me. Every week, realize your work doesn't accomplish what my work can do. Every week, remember that I'm the God who made the heavens and the earth. I'm the God that called you by name, that called you out of sin, and is calling you into my marvelous light. And so every moment, every day, now, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, every day is a good day in Jesus. Every time I go through a season of life, I can say, God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, you have called me. God, you've delivered me. You set me free. And I can rest in you. And so if you're wondering if you're going to make it today, rest in Jesus. He's Lord of the Sabbath. Because I'm going to tell you something. Trying to do life on your own is hard. It is hard work trying to do life on your own. Trying to handle all the things your job is going to throw at your way trying to handle all the things your marriage will throw your way, trying to handle all your kids, trying to handle all the responsibilities of adulthood, all that stuff. It, you can't... I don't know how the world makes it. I really don't know. I mean, I understand the chaos in the world we're in today, but it's amazing we even made it this far as a race. Because uh, we get to a hard spot in our life. What we do as believers, we have to, have to ask ourselves this. Am I trying to do life under the authority and power of Jesus, or am I trying to do it on my own? Am I trying to handle the situation of my job on my own, or am I giving it to the care and the authority and the power of Jesus? Because that's when you begin to rest in Him. God, I can't fix this situation. God, I can't handle this circumstance. I just give it to you. 
God, you, you made the heavens and the earth. God, you made the days of the week. Who am I to think I can handle something? So, God, I'm just dust. I give it to you. And he's like, I love when you do that. You're my child. I love that. Thank you for realizing. You know, when my daughter comes and gives me things and says, God, Dad, I'm going to be sad the day my daughter can tie her shoes because it's just something about when, you know, they, they need you, right, as a parent. And, and there's something about when we trust our father to say, you know what, you got this. And he says, yes, I do. All right? So number four, know when to how to rest in Jesus. Number five, follow the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, I'm not going to make it. Number five, follow the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the wilderness, uh, the Lord's presence was in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And it would come and go. And sometimes uh, that pillar of cloud, let's say, which represented the presence of God descending upon the people of Israel, sometimes it would lead them and they would stop at a place for a day. Sometimes it would lead them and stop for a couple days or a week or a month. And sometimes it would stop and stay for a year. And at any moment of any day, it could leave and move. And they would have to literally pack their whole house and tent and move on. It's a concept we would never, we, we can't, hard to grasp with. I just moved this week to a new house. Let me tell you, I could not move in a day. It took a couple days. And I realized we've got to purge some stuff in our life, right? Half of it is my daughter's. Um, just to... You know, and today, you and I may not follow on the way to work or to church a cloud over a car. You know, like, all right, I'm waiting, honey. God's cloud's moving. It's time to go to church. You know, like, we don't, sometimes that might be a good thing. But, you know, like, normally I don't see an aurora of, of fire, you know, as I'm going to go eat. or you No, know, it's not telling me where to go. But you know what? You and I have something so much better than that. The Bible says that because Christ came, He gave us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's that same Spirit that guided them day by day and week by week and year by year now lives within you. And Paul explained to the Galatians this way. They were wondering whether or not they were saved in Galatians chapter 3. And he says, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, yes. And he says, well, there you go. You're a Christian. You got the Holy Spirit. You sense Him. He, he came out with you know, signs and wonders and the, the manifestation of all of His gifts. And, and you feel His presence. And it's in the meeting places where you meet. You know the Spirit's alive and well in you. So that's what you know. And then He tells them in Galatians chapter 5, uh, 25, He says, If you live then by the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. The same kind of idea. The same kind of understanding. He says, but if you, you're walking by your flesh and you're walking by religion, it's just going to produce bad stuff. It's going to be producing the things of the flesh. But if you're living and walking by the Spirit, you're going to produce good fruit, the character of Jesus Christ in your life. And so maybe the Spirit today, and you wonder, God, how am I going to get through this situation? How am I going to get through this circumstance? You may not get a step-by-step visible cloud to tell you, Go to this person. Go to that person. Go to that house. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is out of here. He's going to tell you how to be the most Christ-like you can be in that situation. If you listen to the Holy Spirit and learn how to discern His voice and learn how to notice when the Spirit moves. The Spirit is a living, breathing God. He's God. He is God. It's not something or it. He is God in you, with you, and through you. And if you begin to understand the voice of God, the presence of God, follow the presence of God in your life. If you feel go to a situation, you feel like, God, I don't feel your presence in this. Don't do it. Back away from it. God, I want to buy this or sell that. God, I want to get involved in this ministry or that ministry or that business or, or this relationship. You don't feel the presence of God in that? Notice those things. 
That's God is going to begin to lead you more strongly than he even led Israel because he's in you. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So if you're idling like Israel, they rejected the presence of God and they quickly fell to idols. That's what will happen to us if we uh, deny the Holy Spirit's presence in us. But if we follow his presence, we say, God, are you going ahead of me? Holy Spirit, where are you leading me? And God, how can I be more Christ-like in this situation? Amen. Number six. Now, when you're following the presence, it's going to lead you to number six. Okay, you ready for this? Raise the banner of Jesus in your battles. We've already talked about this in one of our sermons. Raise the banner of Jesus in your battles. What does that mean, Pastor Heath? At the battle of Amalek, right before the mount of God, Joshua fought with the sword in the valley, but Moses took the staff of God in his hand and fought through prayer on the mountain. He raised the staff of God. And what it was is he was raising a banner, a testimony of what God had done before and that God can still do it again. And every time Moses would raise the banner, people would look to it and see, and they would have faith in what God had done. they began begin to win. But then when Moses got tired and lowered the banner, they would lose faith. And they got discouraged because the battle was going long. And they began to lose. What does that tell us in your, your, my, your life and my life? There are many times in our lives you're going to be fighting the enemy. You're going to be fighting, number one, the devil and his legions. You're going to be, secondly, fighting our flesh. You may even fight some persecution. But here's what I want to tell you today. It's okay. Guess what? God led you here. God led them to that battle. You may go through a situation in your life, but if you're following the Holy Spirit, if you're following the Holy Spirit, you can know God led you through this trial. He led you to this point in your life. You wonder, say, God, what am I doing? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? He knew you were going to get to this place in your life, even before you were ever born. Take comfort in that. It's going to be okay. God led you. He can, he, if He led you to a problem in your body, if He led you, not saying God caused all those things, but if He led you there, He is sure to give you the power to get through it. If, if you have a financial crisis, if you have a relationship problem, a marital problem, a kid problem, or whatever problem it may be, you know that God is going to give you what you need to win the battle. And it's nothing to do with you at all. Because all of it was doing is we got to raise the testimony, the banner, that Jesus Christ has already won the war. And so when we get to those places in our life, it's not so much that the devil is fighting you. You have to remember he's fighting the testimony of God in you. And so I'm fighting for the cause of Christ. And if I want to fight and I want to win, I better be fighting to give glory to God. Say, God, I'm not going to get through this situation all on my own because if I did, that would give me glory. But, God, if I say, God, this is your situation, your battle, your circumstances, this is your problem, then, God, I just begin to say, God, I know that you've had total victory on the cross. You said, God, that every authority would bow before you and you would, submit, uh, you would trample on every authority, God, and be under your feet. God, you're going to handle every situation. God, if you can conquer death, hell, sin, the grave, and you can pull me from the eternity of of hellish, uh, fiery pit. God, you can handle my financial problem. Amen? You can handle this sickness in my body if you died on the cross for me. And so I say, God, I'm raising the testimony of Jesus Christ, no longer fighting for myself, but the glory of God. And how do you do that? How do you raise the banner? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Just re- real quick, read you this. But above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And he goes on, he says, standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for what? The faith, which is the good news. What are you fighting for? 
Is it to raise the banner and the testimony that God is going to get me through this situation? And when I do, I'm giving God all the glory. So if you wonder if you're going to make it, ask yourself this. Is my faith focused on Christ's victory or my own? And who gets the glory if I win? All right, number seven. Lastly, one of these last ones, if you wonder if you're going to make it, number seven says, remember you're God's child because you live simply by faith. God gave Israel all these covenant and these rules on Mount Sinai, a lot of lists of to-dos, a lot of lists of things and regulations to find their holiness to be the people of God. Here's what happened, though. They quickly forgot that they did not have the law in Egypt. They weren't saved because they obeyed the law. They were saved because they cried out to God for mercy. And by faith, they put, applied the blood to their, their hearts, homes, and they walked out. And then God gave them the rules and regulations. But why did He even give them the rules? It was because He wanted them to become the people of God. And really, it wasn't about doing the rules to be the people of God. It was that if they lived by faith in His Word and in love for Him, they would naturally begin to produce good things and they'd become the people He defined them to be. And your life today... God is not calling you Christian because you do the things you're doing. He calls you Christian because you cried out to Him for mercy and you believe in what His Son has done for you. And now, today, you can be the people of God by faith through the power of His Holy Spirit. Right, man? That's some good just gospel teaching right there. And a lot of people don't understand that in the Christian world today, that it's not about what you're doing, it's about who you're becoming. In Jesus Christ. It's not all the regulations and the rules. It's about by the Holy Spirit within me, I'm being more like Jesus. And that makes me the people of God because simply I trust the Word of God to be my all in all. The cross was enough when He said, it's finished, it's finished, it's done. And so whatever He tells me to do after that moment, I do in worship, in response through the grace of God to what He's already accomplished for me. Amen? And that's just, that's the gospel. If you don't get that, you don't got it, you don't got the gospel. Okay? And so, and, and so Paul says this all in Galatians, but he says, the Spirit now enables us to be the people of God from within. God's writing this on our own hearts. And Paul says in Galatians 3.11, he says, it's never been uh, justification except for through faith. That's the only way you can be righteous. And you can't try to be good enough by obeying the law because you'll be cursed to live by every letter. But Christ will rescue you from the failure of falling from the law because He became your curse. And now Abraham's promise can be fulfilled in you today when you receive the Holy Spirit by faith. What does all that mean? Sum it all up. Don't let being a Christian go to your head. You're not all that. I'm not all that. I am better than anybody else. I've been saved by grace through faith. Amen? And, and don't let being a Christian go to your head. Good works in my religion are nothing. What will help me to make it on my journey is to continue to grow in faith and trust the voice of God on every pass. Trust the voice of God by faith. Listen to His Word. Listen to His Spirit. Live by faith in the Holy Spirit's power. And don't make going to heaven complicated. Just live by faith. Amen? So you wonder if you're going to make it. You try to figure it all out. Just live by faith. Relax. You wonder, God, should I do this? Should I do that? Is that good? Is that bad? Did I not please you? God, are you happy with me? God, maybe I need to go to church more, read my Bible more. God, what would you, what can I rub this genie in a bottle lamp to make this situation better? Don't work that way. Relax. You're thinking too hard. Just love God. God's got it. Live by faith. That's how you got saved. Keep living that way. Amen? Amen. Can we keep it simple? Okay, good. Now, two more. 
You say, but I'm only on seven. This is math in Louisiana. No, not really. It's uh, eight and nine. I thought were so important. I wanted one point, okay? Eight and nine, because I think they're two points together. And I'm giving you this, and I'm going to wrap it up real quick here. Number eight and nine. Remember, you can encounter God daily because you are a dwelling place for His Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, you can encounter God. That's eight. Remember, number nine, you are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. This is such power right here. Let me give it to you. Simply because of God's grace towards Moses. Moses was never good enough to encounter God in the burning bush nor on the mountain. But because he saw Moses was humble and he loved the Lord. He said, my grace is towards you. I will talk to you face to face. And he says, uh, it's simply because God desired to bless Israel. He was willing to dwell in the midst, the Bible says, of a stiff-necked, rebellious people. You know what that means? There's hope for me. Amen? There's hope for me. There's hope for you. That God was even willing to give them the blueprints to build His tabernacle, even after they made an idol on the mountain. He allowed His glory to come down. And it was the presence of God, Scripture says in Exodus, that makes them the people of God. The presence of God made them the people of God so long as they live by faith. It's those times, even in prayer, when I don't seem to see or sense God, I need to remember that if I'm living by faith, He said He's with me. And He's not just with me. John chapter 14 says He's in me. I just got to humble myself and seek Him. And Jesus said I'd find Him. Kingdom of God, He said, is available to all who repent and believe. Paul says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ's Spirit lives within you if you're saved. And then James says, if in those moments, all you have to do is humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and then He'll lift you up. And like Moses, we have to get to a place, if we're wondering, God, am I going to make it today? Am I going to make it? Am I going to get through this? Moses so much got to that place in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. He said, God, if your presence does not go from this place, just let me die here. God, because I can't take another step without your presence. It's those moments in our life, number eight and nine, if you want to know if you're going to make it or not, we get to a place in our life, we get down on our knees and say, God, I just need your presence. That's it. I just need your presence. Because I can't take another leg of this journey without you. And if you keep trying to do it on your own, you're sure to falter and fail. You're sure to lose your marriage, your house, your car, your kids, your relationship. You're sure to lose something. But if you will humble yourself, and even though you may not gain the things you thought you wanted or gain, you will have Jesus Christ, and He's enough. God, I want... And then Moses gets to that place once he gets to that, and he says, and God says, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you. And then God just loves to lavish it. Once you ask for that, and he says, you're humble in heart, and then Moses says, just show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence, the value, the weight, the immensity of your presence. He says, I'll do it. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. We just say, God, I want more of you. Anybody? God, I just want more of you. And he says, I'll give it. And so, if you're gonna, wondering if you're making it, I'd ask you, are you encountering God daily? Because you can. And because you're a, present, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end with number 10 is this. Celebrate the journey. Life's too hard to not be thankful and joyful 
and go through this with a smile on your face, Israel often whined and doubted and complained about the slow progress of God's plan. God, why? God, why? Lord, why in the world? You know, you get to those moments. You get that magic eight ball out. You just shake it like this. You know, like, what's going to happen? Celebrate the journey. You know why? Exodus chapter 15, before this whole story ever began, before the, you rewind the tapes past Exodus and you go back to the very beginning, God told them, he said, I'm going to take you the long route. Because in Exodus chapter 15, if I were to take you straight into the Philistines' territory without doing some stuff in you first, you would have surely lost faith and fled back to Egypt. God in his grace gave them the long route. And sometimes in our life, we wonder why we go through the things we do. It's because God knows what you can handle and when you can handle it. And sometimes you think the long route is the worst route and God knows better. He says, no, 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 no. The path I have for you is the path where you're going to make it. And so here's what you do. You just begin to celebrate the journey that God knows best. God's got the whole big picture in mind. Amen. And so how gracious is our God? And I'm going to end with this. No matter the journey God has you on, remember to give thanks. Have faith in God's glorious plan in you and for you. Remember, there's still hope for a better tomorrow in Jesus Christ because His grace, the Bible says, has been poured on you lavishly in Jesus Christ, John says. And today's not over yet, and tomorrow can be a new beginning. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, God is patient and long-suffering towards you. He's slow to anger, quick to forgive. And if you wonder if you're going to make it, just know you will. Amen. Trust in Jesus. He's coming again. And Paul says, you can rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. Pray with thanksgiving. And the incomprehensible, undescribable peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Celebrate the journey. You ever wondered if you're going to make it? Ten principles for His promise. Let's just take a moment to pray real quick and just allow the Holy Spirit just to be here, just a moment to respond.